When you envision the ideal experience for your brewery guests, point of sale probably isn't at the top of your list. It's the transactional finality to their visit. What you need is a point of service. Arrived is the first mobile, flexible, customizable point of service system built for craft breweries. It adapts and grows with you on-premise and online. Your staff will love the simplicity, your managers will love the world-class support team, and your guests will love that they can get the same delicious beer with the same amazing service from anywhere. Fall in love with your point of sale. Fall in love with Arrived. Bolide Communications offers a wide range of marketing services to satisfied customers, including positioning, sales collateral and POS, branding, website design, public relations, and social media. Talk with Bolide Communications today on how they can get your brewery and beer to stand out to audiences that matter. Visit them online at bolidecommunications.com or call 973-975-3037. You already make great beer, but Bolide Communications help with the rest. This is Andy Crouch, and welcome to the Beer Edge Podcast. On this season of the Beer Edge podcast, I'm talking with writers, brewers, and others about how COVID has impacted their local beer communities across the country and the world. Of many terrible things about the pandemic is the inability to travel and experience new places and revisit old favorites. For writers trying to cover a beat, such as the beer industry, it's hard to get a feel for what is going on in places both far-flung and local. So we're going to take an audio tour, told through the voices of those who know their scenes best. We start today with writer, editor, and my friend, Ben Keene, the former editor of Beer Advocate Magazine. Founded in 2007, Beer Advocate Magazine went on to become one of the beer industry's best publications. And to be sure, I'm a little biased. I wrote a monthly column for the magazine for more than a decade. In more than 130 columns, I wrote about my love of lager many times, the rise and fall and rise again of extreme brewing, and about all the little idiosyncrasies that make the craft beer industry the colorful place that it is. And for five of those years, I was fortunate enough to have Ben Keen edit my work. As a freelancer, I've never been great at keeping to deadlines, and no one knows this deep personal failing more than Ben, who had the misfortune of having to track me down for my words every month. And for that, I apologize, Ben. He was a rigorous but fair editor, fact-checking my pieces, delving into the minutia of word choice, and helping guide the overall arc of each article. In a word, he was an editor, and a good one at that. He also helped direct the work on one of the longest pieces I've ever written, a feature on the rise and influence of the Shelton Brothers for BA Magazine. Without his help, the piece would have been much poorer for it. Ben moved out to Seattle a few years ago, and Beer Advocate Magazine quietly faded from existence. He had a kid, and spends a lot of time, as I do, balancing the joys and challenges of parenting and the rigors of trying to write words about beer during a pandemic. The loss of Beer Advocate magazine, while sad, has given Ben the opportunity to write more. He regularly contributes to Vine Pair, Sip Magazine, Craft Beer and Brewing, and many others. We discuss some of his recent articles in our conversation and hear about how the Seattle beer scene has fared in the past year. For more on Ben, Follow him at Where and Back on Twitter. Here's my interview and conversation with editor Ben Keen. 
So Ben, it has been quite some time since I think you and I last saw one another. It might've been a Beer Advocate Fest or a GABF or something like that. Uh, and around those times, you might've been, you might've still been in Boston or just been out to Seattle, but how long have you been out in Seattle now? Um, I am coming up on five years actually, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, yeah, I moved here in middle, middle of 2016. Okay. That, that for me, it seems like you've been gone for like two years. So yeah. apparently I'm a little off it's on been, that. It's been two years since I think I was last in Boston, believe yeah. it or not. <laughs> uh, that is five years. That's, that's just, that's crazy. But, um, and so since that time, you know, you were, you know, in a previous life, my editor at, at Beer Advocate Magazine. And how long were you in that role for? Um, about five years. Yeah. Okay. I then, started in 2014 with them. And then rode that ship right to the end. Yeah, I mean, technically, it, it still hasn't ended. I have never <laughs> had any formal uh, notice. It just um, an issue may pop up at some point. We just yeah. don't know. <laughs> it's a possibility. <laughs> uh, and so, since Beer Advocate um, took a break, uh, who knows? We'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see what, a, we'll see what happens with the magazine. There, you know, maybe it has a new life under Untapped. Who knows? Uh, what have you been up to? Um, so, yeah, I. Have have gone back to freelance um, and contribute to you know the handful of beer media sites that still exist and and literally handful as you uh, certainly know um, and actually before pre pandemic a year ago I also was doing part time um, sales and marketing for a little brewery out here in um, Washington called Triceratops Brewing. Um, and that uh, also has <laughs> has has fallen upon hard times uh, in the past year. So, um, not really uh, as involved on that front either. Mm-hmm. And most of my energy, as we were talking before this started, has been channeled into dad stuff and fatherhood in the last five months now. So I had quite a few plans at the beginning, right before pandemic hit for doing travel. And it had been quite some time since I had done that. And you know, my wife had just gone to Madrid for a week for business. And she had come back right basically at the end of February, which also wasn't necessarily a great time to be in Madrid, as it turns <laughs> out, but uh, came home and I was, I was gearing up to go. And then it just, obviously everything came to a screeching halt. How much do you miss travel? How much do you miss, you know, as someone who did it with some frequency and, and wrote travel books and things like that? How much, how much do you miss it? Very much. Um, Yeah, likewise, I was actually uh, February, I have even been early March. uh, But last year, I was invited to the Nebraska Craft Brewers Conference to talk about brewery tourism. Um, And yeah, so I I made that trip um, as things were probably starting to uh, get bad. And that was until this past weekend, my wife and I took a little uh, break out of the city to go down to the Columbia River Gorge um, on the border with Oregon. And uh, that Nebraska trip until last Friday was the last time I left the state of Washington. Um, And that's the longest I have gone by, you know, orders of magnitude. (laughs) My wife and I, uh, you probably know, we also love international travel and we used to do at least one 
trip abroad every year and um, that's uh, that didn't happen and isn't going to happen this year either. So it's uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I don't, I don't have a lot to complain about, but if I was going to pick something, <laughs> it might be the lack of travel. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just thinking as I, you know, sort of my, one of my few connections to the outside world when it comes to, to beer, you know, especially with young kids at home is just either having beer delivered from a local brewery or, or just a local, you know, craft beer seller here in near where I live. But it's just, I miss flavors. I miss new flavors. I miss new smells. Like even I was thinking that last night, how it's just like, you know, I, I was sort of outside and, and we're in the bowels of winter here. We got several inches of snow on the ground and we're not going anywhere. It's freezing cold. It just <laughs> I, I got a whiff of just something, just something like new. It wasn't necessarily even something great. It was just something new. And I just thought like, how deprived we've become just and I know that somebody who is, is into flavor and is into taste and as you are just 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 all of that we're we're just on pause we're just missing so much and especially as it comes to craft beer yeah I totally agree I also think about sounds um you know we're in our our little home environment all the time um and you know traveling you hear different things you eavesdrop on conversations uh music you know I used to love seeing live music um that, you know, that's all just kind of, I don't know, paused for the time being this foreseeable future. Um, the sounds of a brewery, like in operation, I haven't been uh, inside of a, a brewery in so long. And I used to visit, you know, probably visited close to 70, 80 breweries a year, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess uh, I'm not going to kind of hear the normal workings of, of those spaces for a while. Yeah. I'm just trying to think like, I think this year I have been to maybe I can't, I was thinking about the other day, maybe one or two new breweries and those were all January, February kind of thing. And I think since then I've been out to eat once at craft uh, at uh, Cambridge Brewing Company, they did the best mm -hmm. job they could out in the, out in their outdoor patio. But even that was, you know, not, not the world's greatest situation, but besides that, yeah, it's just nothing. So, you know, <laughs> Boston see, and you know, it's just, and here in Boston, we've had some kind of rough times. We've seen, you know, several breweries go into bankruptcy or forced bankruptcy. We've seen others, you know, shell like night shift shelve ideas for expanding to Philadelphia and, and other places. Yeah. And now they're recently their, their tap room downtown, you know, by, uh, by the garden has closed down temporary, you know, temporarily, I guess we'll see how it goes, but how have things been in Seattle as someone who has obviously been there for a couple of years now and has spends a lot of time, you know, visiting those breweries, how, how has COVID impacted the Seattle scene? Um, I have to say like better than I anticipated at the beginning, only a couple of closures. Um, and you know, there, those closures were small, taproom only kind of businesses without much um, kind of brand awareness or presence in the, in the wider uh, so, sort of Metro market. Um, and uh, I, I, I think this is particularly true of the Northwest, but the support for local products, um, including, you know, beer and beverages is super strong. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of places were already canning to some degree um, and, and places that had their own canning lines 
pivoted, you know, in a matter of days, it seemed like, um, and have done, you know, quite well, um, I would say. Uh, so I, I don't, and, and also people here are very accustomed to drinking outdoors year round, even before this. Um, you know, I like to tell people who visit that, like, yes, we have the reputation of being this rainy city, but don't bring an umbrella, bring a raincoat and just be prepared to do things outside, no matter what the weather is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of places already had kind of a beer garden, patio, whatever space. And yes, uh, I think, you know, particularly as it gets cold like that, those numbers dropped off. But um, that business on premise didn't ever totally go away, which might be different than in other cities. That's interesting. Yeah, here obviously a little bit, a little bit different. You know, we we all had, I think, some plans to try to drink our way through the winter until <laughs> yeah. until I think the first cold snap hit in November or December, and some places tried it, and then you know we do not have that culture here. You know, we'll put on a Patagonia or something and and try to try to make it work, but. This is not a not a year round drinking place, and I know there are other places like Chicago that are trying to trying to make it work, and perhaps are a little hardier yeah. than we are here. But it just but, it's not easy. I mean, it's 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 not an easy thing. No, and I've been to Chicago in the winter, and I don't want to do anything stationary outdoors for any length of time. <laughs> so we've been following some of the things you've been writing uh lately you you as you noted you've been doing some freelance work and there's not a ton of publications left in business you know beer advocate with its very long pause um <laughs> we've got you know draft and and plenty of others gone we have others that we'll see what happens like hop culture going to to untapped um mm-hmm. but there are a handful of of folks out there and you know vine pair and and i think there's the local one is it a local place sips or sip that you've been writing for yeah, they're um, pretty focused on the Northwest, and they cover uh, wine, spirits, coffee and tea a little bit, and beer. And one of the things that I've I you know talked about a couple of the pieces that you've been writing uh, lately, it seems like you've been writing a lot about sort of like aging or or just you know, finishing in wood, um, and whether it's stouts or or lagers, but obviously close to my heart. I want to start with the, you know, you wrote something somewhat recently about oak aged lagers. Can you tell me about your experience there? And then I'm going to try to have you explain what pitch is to me, because (laughs) as someone who loves lager and loves these traditions, I have tried to figure out what it is and I just don't get it. Yeah. So I'm trying to think about which beer uh, kind of first popped onto my radar as far as an oak aged lager. I, I kind of think uh, it might have been OEC in Connecticut, um, and they've done a couple of different oak aged lagers um, now uh, that I'm aware of. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it was kind of curious to me, um, and uh, also um, I found it—I don't know—almost like a natural extension for craft beer to take because. So many beer geeks seem obsessed with barrel aged everything. Um, And so, you know, I kind of filed that idea away, like, is this a kind of gimmicky 
super niche thing um, or maybe is this going to turn into like a genuine trend and you know a year went by or whatever and I started to see more examples around the country um, cerebral in um, in uh, Denver Colorado has done quite a number of them now um, good fire up in Maine um, threes in Brooklyn um, has uh, one of their pilsners uh, I think it's a year round beer is uh, food or aged um, but yeah uh, so I I kind of uh, took note of that and, and pitched a story that Vinepair liked. Um, and now it seems like, uh, you know, not necessarily common, but um, there, there are certainly plenty of examples you can find in, in almost every region of the country now. Um, and yeah, when I went digging into it more, um, not knowing that much, um, in it to begin with, you know, I, I started with Pilsner Urkel. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the kind of key ingredient that nobody except Chris up at Notch um, uses in their, um, you know, oak lager is the pitch lining that would have been on the inside of every single vessel, um, you know, historically speaking. And so, you know, uh, there's like this nostalgic source of inspiration, I think, that brewers were reaching for by, by going with this type of process. Um, but in fact, you know, we don't know for sure what um, lagers would have tasted like, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, whatever. Um, and yeah, I think um, uh, having that the the actual fooder or barrel or cask or whatever directly in contact with the liquid um is, is something very different from using you know essentially a, a sealant um that was designed to make sure that very little um of the you know tannins and lactones and whatnot um are going to seep into the beer that was a long answer, maybe. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting, at least for me, I'm sure for absolutely nobody else. But uh, so is pitch expected to impact the flavor? I, I actually, because of pandemic, did not have the opportunity to taste that beer, which I was one of those beers this year I would love to have gotten to, or last year I would have loved to have gotten to, but just was not to be. In fact, I've sadly not been to Notch in more than a year now, which is painful. Yeah, very painful. And yeah. Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but is pitch expected to really change the flavor of the beer in a meaningful way? Do we think? Um, no, it doesn't seem like it was. Um, it will, uh, you know, as a um, as like anything over time, um, as you use that container uh, repeatedly, um, it it appears uh, that it will leach into the beer, you know, you know, batch seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it might be. Um, but uh, in the initial use of it, no, uh, it was a sealant that was, um, you know, meant to, uh, to keep the the beer, the flavor that was brewed into the beer intact. Um, and also in referring to Notch, Chris, when I interviewed him, uh, said that they were planning to release uh, a second 
version of the beer, I believe in February. Okay. So if you were so inclined to go sit in the, sit in the beer out there and yeah, (laughs) freeze my butt. I might, at this point, things are, anything is sounding good. So I think he's, I think he's going to bottle some portion of the second batch also. Okay. I will see what I can, what I can do for that. Uh, (laughs) Also Natchez, Natch was in the process of opening and was expected by the summer to open their second, you know, tap room location. That's right. About 10 minutes from where I am. So that would have been, that would have been nice, but uh, thanks COVID. (laughs) I think the uh, impression I get from social media is that they haven't paused construction. No, they're moving, they're moving forward. Finally, they slowed down for a little while. I think they had a good relationship with the people who are developing the, the historic site there. So hopefully we will, we will get that back and maybe, I don't know about this summer, but maybe the summer that would be, That would be pretty nice to spend some time out there. Arrived all the way. It's a system built by people who worked in the industry and they regularly check in with their clients for not only support, but ways they can potentially grow or help you pivot and readjust as needed. I've worked with all the major systems out there and I would never pick another service, says Katie Neerling, the GM of Scott Brewstillery, about Arrived. Bolide Communications is a creative and strategic marketing consultancy with decades of experience working with some of the biggest names in beer and consumer products. Talk with Bolide Communications today on how they can get your brewery and beer to stand out to audiences that matter. So as part of this story, and and as someone who has covered this industry for a long time, you've heard the refrain pretty often from me and probably from about 10 columns that I wrote for you that were probably the exact same column saying this year is the year of logger. You know, logger's time has finally come. Has is logger's time here. (laughs) Put me on the spot. (laughs) Is is it now? Um, I, yeah, I would say yes. I do think that after uh, sort of prematurely predicting this uh, for, yeah, maybe the better part of a decade. I do feel like, um, you know, again, I, I'll go to my my uh, current uh, residence as a point of reference. Um, I would say the majority of brewers out here um, have added a lager to their regular lineup. Um, and I would go further to say that um, the majority of beer focused bars um, have also done the same and have maintained a lager option um, through the pandemic. Um, and and I, I think to me, evidence that this is not just a little a blip again and, and kind of brewers having fun is that, you know, it started out with sort of hoppy pilsners, I think, um, in a lot of places. Um, and, you know, that was exciting to put sort of new world hops into a, you know, a more traditional Pilsner um, recipe. But um, after that, I think in the last couple of years, you see more breweries adding an Oktoberfest. I've seen a few Schwarzbeers, um, you know, an occasional Dunkel, like the, the diversity of lagers from these breweries tells me that um, I think there's a little more staying power. What do you, what do you think? I think lagers time will always be coming. I don't think it's ever (laughs) probably going to arrive, but you know, if it does, it's like one of those things. It's like, 
you know, if you're a member of one political party and you can just chirp from the benches, the back benches and say like, you know, you know, just chirp at chirp at the at the opposition. But then eventually, if your party gets to power, you actually got to do something here. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's better for for me personally and for my brand for Logger to never really show up so I can always <laughs> just herald it's it's coming in the future. So that is the, that is at least my hope. But I agree. I've yeah. seen over the last several years and I don't know if it's because you know, if, if it's really a consumer demand, because you hear people talk all the time that it's people want to drink, you know, lighter and, and some more, or they want to drink, you know, less alcohol, or they want something that's just cleaner on the palate. And I don't know if this is really consumer driven to some extent, it probably is, but I think a good portion of it is brewers either as they get a little bit older or they get a little bit more time in the industry. They are a little less, while they may still be producing a lot of those hazy beers and, and lactose filled beers and whatever the, you know, the novel beer is of the day and the novel style for them at the end of the day, I think they just want something that's like the rest of us, you know, especially those of us who've been at this a while, just like that, that clean beer. And this is, these are always the beers that you would see. And I would see brewers hand to each other, like under the table at extreme yeah. beer festival or other things, you know, they would always be, you know, quietly on the side talking about who brought the the clean Hellas or something that, that, yeah. that got the palate that got the palate back in shape. So I, at the end of the day, I think that is what a lot of people who spend a lot of time traversing back and forth across the various grades and territory of, of craft beer eventually come to settle in, in, in an area that is a little bit, a little bit cleaner, a little more approachable, a little bit uh, less abusive to the palate. And I think slowly over time that will continue, but I don't know that loggers time will ever truly come in the sense that it's going to, it's going to, you know, take over. But here's, I guess the flip side of that going into pandemic, it was hazy all the time. It was re you know, revolutionizing and redefining uh, IPA and, and, and by that craft beer, um, everybody, it, it was, it was part of everything. Its name was part of everything. Now it's hard. I mean, you can see in some of the IRI data and things like that, how various brands are doing and it continues to be strong. And we sort of have a little bit more anecdotal evidence and talking with brewers or seeing what they're, they're producing. But do you think hazy survives and, and thrives after a pandemic? You think it will still be as it was, or do you think we will be on to a, you know, it, it's had some permanence for a while, but you know, you know, better than anyone, the craft beer industry loves to, to move on to the next thing. Is it time to move on to the next thing from hazy? Um, I think it. I think it survives. Um, I think it maybe sort of matures, um, and I. I feel like there's a, a decent chance that it isn't quite so dominant um, as it was. You know, um, one thing I it, it occurs to me, and maybe sounds a little nutty, but when we're talking about people, both brewers and consumers, looking for uh, kind of a, a lighter um, beer or something with a cleaner taste. Um, I think about the rise of um, hard seltzer and and also the sort of demographic that that seems to appeal to. And if you're a younger person who has been inundated with these super, uh, you know, milkshakey, intense, fruity, tending to be higher alcohol, IPAs, um, and it's been that way for a couple of years now. Um, and those breweries that churn them out don't really have like a depth in terms of variety. Then when you want a break, maybe some of those people are going to the hard seltzer 
um, you know, it's an, it's also a fruity flavor, but it's 5%. Mm-hmm. It's much lighter on the palate. Um, and yeah, like everybody, I think at some point comes to the real realization that you can't pound seven and a half percent new England IPAs all day with your friends. Um, they, they try, they, they try, try, they try. And you know, it's fun to try once or yeah. twice. Um, but yeah, I think, um, when when you're talking about having a good time or doing anything else besides sitting on your your couch like something that's lower abv something that um yeah maybe doesn't assault your taste buds with every sip starts to be more appealing we are now uh recording at the end of january and this is again another dry january that is that has come and almost gone uh this year a little bit different than others you know there are plenty of folks in the beer industry who are saying you know, this is not the time to, to, to be refraining from alcohol use. Others saying, you know, we shouldn't be shaming anybody's decisions to, to cut back. Uh, do you, this is another perennial question. Do you think that we're moving to a new era of se- for session beers or for lower alcohol beers? And, you know, we're starting to see more and more, but also, you know, we've been heralding their arrival for, for the better part of a decade as well. And do you think that people are going to spend more time reevaluate, especially post pandemic or spend more time reevaluating their relationship with alcohol. Um, yeah, I think again, uh, I know I haven't been able to travel and so I'm not as in touch with what's happening nationally. Um, but, uh, I actually uh, did a piece, um, recently for sip, uh, out here on, um, lower ABV and NA beers. Um, and, you know, focusing exclusively on those brewed here in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, you know, there, there are quite a number of them now. Um, they're not particularly hard to, to come by. Uh, there's one small brewer out here who um, uh, launched in a, a series of um, non-alcoholic beers um, that uh, they have sold out of, of every batch they've made so far. Um, I know Deschutes just uh, launched um, a 3% ABV beer um, called Teensy. Um, there's a, a Saison brewery here in Seattle called Fair Isle, um, which has a number of, um, I guess you would call them maybe table beers um, that have been uh, pretty popular. So across the style uh, spectrum as well, um, I have seen more sessionable uh, stuff um, and, and some from, you know, kind of mainstream larger producers too. And I think, I don't know that, you know, I feel like the reevaluation of your alcohol intake and healthy living. Um, I feel like that is a pendulum that goes back and forth and back and forth. Um, I don't know that uh, people uh, are making decisions sort of long-term. Um, but I do feel like that space in a range for a brewery that produces a lot of different beers might actually be there. Um, whereas before, you know, nobody would really play around at that end of the uh, pool. I think, uh, in one column I had written for you, I had said that, uh, lower alcohol beer is sort of the final frontier of extreme mm-hmm. brewing. And I am so excited about beers in that two and three percent range. And I don't know that the average consumer is going to be super interested in that, though. I think there is a fair amount of interest in some of these more flavorful NA 
um, you know, or very low alcohol beers. But I think something in that two to three percent could find a could find a window, especially if you have you know almost cutesy names like Teensy. I just I think you know the plays on that. You know, assuming these beers still deliver a a flavor experience, it doesn't have to be full flavor, full body. But there's also so much that can be done in that low ed, end of the spectrum with darker malts, you know, with, with exactly. stouts and in, with porters and things like that, where you're getting, you're not necessarily re- relying on booze or massive hopping, you know, rates that need some balance with sweetness. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to see it. I'm, and I'm super excited for the possibility of, of those, you know, moving forward, you know, moving, you know, without the ability to sort of travel, it, it sort of does restrict our our opportunities to sort of figure out and get a feel for like what's happening in the industry. And that is, as a writer, I am sure you feel the same way. It's weird. I mean, it's, it's weird (laughs) to have that, that disconnect. And I feel like at a minimum, you could at least go to GABF every year and get a sense of where the industry was going or where its head was at. Now Mm -hmm. we can't, but to the extent I can ask you to put on some sort of a prognostication cap, like where do you see trends going in this year and, and in the future? Do you think that COVID has impact on, on what we are going to drink? Or do you think um, we're just going to blast right back into, into uh, hard seltzer and, and hazy, you know, come, you know, September, October, whenever? Uh, you know, I, I, I did a story about this um, just last week and uh, talked to a lot of breweries from around the country. Um, one thing that, uh, you know, struck me was how many breweries of all sizes just about um, really seem to be talking about focus and sort of paring down their beer range um, and, you know, kind of leaning into flagships for those bigger breweries or just a core lineup for maybe the mid-sized, smaller breweries, um, you know, uh, there without draft, um, I think that sort of turn frequency um, at at most accounts um, has shrunk, um, and with you know your tap room business being impacted, you're open, you're closed, you're open at twenty five percent, blah blah blah. Um, again, like you're probably not moving through beer the way you did before, and. Um, I do wonder if if that's going to mean, you know, not that, um, you know, uh, variety is is going to disappear, but, you know, if, if breweries are going to be sticking with a smaller number of brands um, going forward, um, and if, you know, as consumers during the pandemic seem to have been communicating with their dollars, you know, that they really want that Pilsner, that their favorite brewery, used to only make once a year, or they really, as much as they like trying every new, uh, you know, smash beer at the tap room, they really just want that, you know, great IPA that, you know, such and such brewery makes. Um, I, I wonder if if that will be one of the impacts is, um, you know, we kind of see people, and, and it was almost a way that breweries, um, you know, approached their businesses um, before everybody had a tap room. It was like you had this kind of core business, the this range of, of, you know, six, eight, maybe 10 beers that you really put all of your effort and energy into. And then it exploded into everybody, you know, needing to brew 83 different styles 
or, you know, I remember doing a kind of a look back on the year stories for beer advocate and there'd be breweries like other half that released 250 beers in the year. You know, I wonder if uh, the demand for that and, and well, sort of in, in all honesty, it probably was just one beer with a bunch of different, yeah. models, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's the nature of hazy. Uh, yeah. Does the, has the demand for that um, declined? Um, certainly the breweries that I, I spoke with recently for this story, were not trying to keep up with, with um, you know, that sort of uh, business plan anymore. We kind of started off by talking about beer media and it's sorry state. Do you see any positive news for beer media moving forward? Do you think that it has a continued role to play in this industry? Or do you think that perhaps either influencers, whether on social media or other platforms, or perhaps just breweries doing their own marketing or what have you will displace, you know, the voices that, that once were, you know, such a, such a big part of this industry. Yeah. Um, I do think, uh, number one, it does have a place. Um, and you know, any industry, I think that is, as large um, and as, you know, with as many sort of touch points to society as the brewing industry does, I think really ought to have, um, you know, a a number of different publications and media outlets, uh, you know, podcasts, uh, whatever it might be that are focused on um, what's going on, um, both for the industry itself, you know, as we see with the Boulevard News this week, it's important, um, very important, I think, to have people that are covering the industry and and letting the, the rest of the industry know what's going on, good and bad. Um, but then also for the, the consumers that are interested, I think maybe there's kind of a less of a mainstream interest in sort of all things beer as people thought there, there would be 10 or 12 years ago. I don't think that really took off, you know, um, and, you know, I even see from sort of the lifestyle magazines that dabbled in beer coverage in the past doing less. But I think that the the sort of passionate geeky audience wants even more um, and is willing to kind of do those deeper dives where you really drill down into stuff like Oak-Aged Lager um, you know, or, uh, you know, workplace representation and discrimination. Um, and I think there are places, uh, Vine Pair is an example that has done some uh, good work on that front. Good Beer Hunting, I think, has leaned into um, some of that. Uh, and there's room, there's certainly room for more. I hope that um, we do see more voices, um, more kind of critical in-depth uh, coverage too. I, yeah, I've sort of been energized and excited by what I've seen out of writers in the last you know, year or two. I've, you know, I've, we've talked for a long time about you know, how the craft beer industry in terms of its beer media has not always been, I don't know, it's not always been willing to be critical or really take mm-hmm. hard looks at topics. Uh, it's certainly not been the most inclusive space uh, and, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the, whether the collegiality or the so-called community spirit of it all, you know, writers often got caught up in that and, and didn't want to really take a look at any of these sharper edges. 
Uh, but also craft beer is such a personal experience for so many people that, mm -hmm. you know, they take it personally when they find out that, you know, consumers do when, you know, or at least the consumers that are aware and are passionate about craft beer take it personally when they find out about mistreatment at breweries and, and, and bars and things like that. And I think that the stories that we have heard in, in recent weeks and months are, you know, just the tip of the iceberg for what, you know, has happened, you know, that we hear whispers about for years about bad actors and things like that. And I don't know that there's going to be the, the place to hide the respite areas anymore. And I, and I'm excited to see, hopefully writers get more into these areas and to start looking into things like treatment of employees, whether it's from an HR or harassment perspective or in, you know, in just unionization or, or wages, mm -hmm. or just trying to get people into just work for free for bad treatment uh, to, to greater representation for, you know, underrepresented groups in this industry. And I, and I'm mm -hmm. excited to hopefully see beer media go in that direction to make itself uh, a unique and passionate and, uh, helpful voice in that respect to offer some greater representation, but also just not to pare it back marketing and just, to, and just to be purely beer notes and things like that, which I think is what a lot of, and maybe at this, I'm not being particularly fair, but that's been my read for a long time. And I'm excited about the possible, you know, even with a decline in the number of markets, I'm excited for the possibilities of the future for, and, and for these new voices to come forward. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think, you know, there's even more, uh, need for it because we see especially larger breweries um, as you brought up um, really creating their own content and you know hosting podcasts um, you know publishing things on their own um, and that's great and you know the technology allows them to be able to do that and and maybe reach more uh, a, a bigger audience than they would have in a you know beer advocate profile or whatever um, but you know for every story like that, I think it's great to have critical media um, on the on the flip side. Ben, I want to thank you for uh, joining us. You know, this time has been a little bit short. We're both uh, in between parenting <laughs> responsibilities here, but I hope we'll, hopefully we'll be having a beer with you sometime soon here, but also uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the podcast uh, soon to talk you know, more about your writing. And I've been excited to see your, your byline appearing in a bunch of places. It's great to see, you know, writers I've respected. And, and obviously you've done a lot of great work for me in editing over the years and definitely want to thank you for that, but congrats again, buddy. And I do hope to see you soon. Yeah. Thanks for this. It's been fun if brief and yeah, I look forward to talking in person um, someday soon. <laughs> Ish. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> thanks for listening to the beer edge podcast. My partner John Hall and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. Thanks for your support. Go to arrive.com to set up a free, customized demo with an arrived consultant and see how a point of sale can make all the difference in your guest experience, staff satisfaction, and bottom line. Chances are, a switch to arrive will save you time, money, and a whole lot of headaches. Arrive.com. That's A R R 
YVED.com. Because there's no I in Arrived. Do you have the right messages in place to make your brewery stand out in a crowded field? Are you executing with trusted partners who know the beer industry? Are you receiving the right counsel? Bolide Communications offers a wide range of marketing services to satisfied customers, including positioning, sales collateral and POS, branding, website design, public relations, and social media. Visit them online at bolidecommunications.com or call 973-975-3037. You already make great beer. Let Bolide Communications help with the rest.